It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Sometimes when things fall apart, they're actually falling into place. Today's guest, Christina Lope, spent a decade working as a neuropediatric clinician before becoming a life coach, spiritual teacher, author, and entrepreneur. In 2013, she experienced a spiritual awakening, followed by four years of solitude and deep meditation training. Today, Christina bridges science and spirituality to help others heal from significant trauma, open their hearts, and live fulfilling lives. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Christina, let's start off by talking a little bit about your life. What were you experiencing that led to this type of awakening? Um, I think, you know, what happened to me is what's happening probably to millions of people around the world. And it's that moment where kind of your life falls apart, Um, tends to be, uh, I've, I've worked with thousands of people and so many of them have these same stories of, um, having that moment of awakening, usually through something kind of dramatic and sudden. Uh, it doesn't happen that way for all of us, but to, for a lot of us, it's, it's kind of that, that moment of life falling apart. And that's definitely what happened to me. Um, I was living a pretty uh, regular life. Uh, I, had, I was married. I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time. I had actually returned to college again. I was I was doing a master's degree in, in public health at Johns Hopkins. And so, um, you know, everything seemed normal. I had just bought a home. Uh, you know, everything seemed regular and everything seemed like it was going normally. And then suddenly everything fell apart. My marriage fell apart very, very quickly. And I think it was at that moment that I I reconnected to the spiritual side of me that, that had always really been present in one way or another. But I just didn't want to explore that side. Um, I had had some pretty negative experiences as a child of being sensitive uh, to energies. And so, you know, I just, my career went towards science and and clinical work. And so I kind of shut the door on the spiritual side, but um, life has a way of always bringing you back to what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) So so that's, that's pretty much what happened to me. Well, it's so interesting because you said a lot of people experience this type of awakening and what you just described, it's like you described my life. I started doing this work Mm -hmm. because I came to that point. I had been married for 23 years to the outside world, everything seemed wonderful. I mean, even most times to me, things seemed wonderful because mm-hmm. I didn't pay attention to how I was feeling or thinking. You know, you get into that that automatic mode of living life and you're not really paying attention to yourself. And so in a six-month period, my marriage fell apart, ended. My mom died. My mm-hmm. sister died. My oldest son left for college. And so the life I had one day was was gone. And, you know, like you described, you get to that point where you say to yourself, okay, I'm at this fork and I can either go in one direction and stay in this pain and stay where I am doing what I'm doing over and over again, or I can 
make some change and try to figure out who I am. And, and like you said, tap into that more spiritual side of, of who you are instead of being that type A driven, you know, mind, like I was always in my, my head type of person. So, Mm -hmm. um, I totally understand what you went through and everything I do now is the result of what I experienced back then. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, this seems to be the case. This is the case with so many people because we're, you know, we, we sort of, uh, walk our paths, at least initially in the first part of our lives, I would say for a lot of people, even up until the, the mid, uh, midlife, what's called midlife years, um, people generally, we follow what we think we're supposed to be doing. A lot of us have difficulty tapping into that intuition and being able to charter our own path um, without having outside influences. So we're always heavily influenced, whether it's uh, by culture, religion, family, whatever it is. Um, and we don't have a lot of the understanding of what it feels like to live based on the heart, really. That, that's the way I view it. It's As soon as your heart opens up, there's an intelligence in there that's not inferior to the intelligence of the mind. And once you learn how to use that heart intelligence, sometimes your life goes, you know, in a direction that you were totally not expecting. But if you follow that heart intuition, if you follow that heart intelligence, it's always going to take you where your soul wants you to go. And that's always the best path to go. Well, that's why I love when you say falling apart, that everything actually fell into place. And you and I described some pretty dramatic falling apart life stories, but it can be anything that we view as not Mm -hmm. going our way. It fell apart, you know, and, and that's where you get those pivots in life that you're describing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I've been, I've been noticing a a recent shift, actually, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of people are reaching me um, in their younger years, and they're having more spontaneous awakenings, where it doesn't have to be through drama, it doesn't have to be through your life falling apart, it's literally just them waking up one morning and saying, hey, you know, uh, there's something more to my life that I want to explore, I can't be here just on earth to work a nine to five job and pay my bills at the end of the month. That can't be it. There has to be something deeper. And so people are spontaneously reaching out and seeking and going deeper and uncovering layers within themselves that I I think it wasn't available to those of us, um, you know, earlier. I I would say pre-2012, I think there was a big shift on the planet in 2012. That was when this mass awakening started. Um, and very much accelerated by the COVID pandemic and all these quarantines and the disruption that this caused. But before then, for the majority of us, it was through some kind of, you know, whether it was the sudden ending of a relationship or the loss of a career or, you know, a life-threatening accident. Uh, what, these, what these circumstances do is they, they break the ego's illusion that it's controlling your life. And it usually takes you to be faced with something, literally the rug being pulled from underneath you. And in that moment, you get a glimpse of, hey, hold on a second. I thought my mind was controlling everything, but it really is not. Life has a way of unfolding completely outside of the control of my mind. And I'd like to be able to tap into that, to that intelligence that goes beyond the mind. And that's definitely what happened to me. I mean, I... I had, um, I don't know if you, do you know the, the teacher Pema Chodron, the Buddhist nun, mm-hmm. Pema Chodron? So she, she had a, a similar awakening story to me, and it was this, this when I heard her describe what, what was going through for her, was the same thing that happened to me. When I, I remember that 
you know, when my marriage fell apart, it was my wife coming home and just saying, you know, one day out of the clear blue sky, I don't want to be married anymore. And I remember that that the trigger in that conversation, it caused what's known as an out-of-body experience. And I had never experienced that before. I was, there was this, it was like I popped out of my body, my consciousness popped out of my body, and I was just hovering watching these two people, Christina and her ex-wife, having a conversation, but my consciousness was sort of hovering in peace, just neutral, and that was the first time that I had ever experienced what soul energy felt like. And I remember that moment lasted maybe just a few seconds. It, it felt like an eternity when I was going through it, but it, I would say maybe lasted a few seconds, maybe up to a minute. And then my consciousness popped back into my body. But after experiencing something like that, like an out-of-body experience, your life is never the same because once you experience the feeling of that soul energy, what it feels like to be truly at peace, to not have the dramas of the mind just dominate your energy. I had felt it once and I knew it was possible. So from then on in, I just thought to myself, okay, I'm going to continue connecting to this deeper, wiser energy um, that that is clearly more intelligent, that has a plan for me, and I want to live that plan that the soul energy has for me. And so that that's kind of how that's kind of how everything started for me. Christina, why do you think that happened? And and is this something that most of us can experience? Oh yes, yes. And and what I think is happening right now that I think is wonderful is the that we are in a level of consciousness right now where we can awaken without suffering necessary um i remember not too long ago even teachers like eckhart tolle and, and many on the planet have been um have been showing the way and saying that suffering a lot of times is a catalyst for a spiritual awakening and that's been true for a really long time but there's been a shift and and i don't think that suffering or pain is required anymore for an awakening to occur i think that we're just at a level of consciousness right now where we realize that that there's something more to life than what we've been living up until now and and yes this is available to everyone on the planet this isn't a spiritual awakening isn't just for you know a few people it's for everyone it's where we're going that's that's where the evolution of consciousness is moving towards it's towards an understanding of deeper truths, um, not being uh, too distracted with um, regular everyday life is really important and will continue to be important. But there's a, a really interesting way that spiritual masters and mystics go through everyday life. They go through everyday life as, an, as a spiritual experience. And, and um, that's something that's become, becoming available to all of us now. Um, and definitely does not have to be through pain. I'm observing that every year. I mean, every day I, I get messages and emails and comments from people on my YouTube channel, and, and they're getting younger, you know, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds saying that, you know, they're having a spiritual awakening, and it's amazing, and nothing bad has happened to them. It's just been something spontaneous. And even, I don't know, you have children, right, John? I do. Yeah. So um, it's it's really interesting, and, and I don't have children, but I have so many dear friends that are having children now, and it's amazing because I look at these little ones, and they are coming in, they are already in a completely different level of consciousness, already coming out. 
like they are. It's it's amazing to have a conversation with a four or five year old child today is very different than a four or five year old child a generation ago. <laughs> they are more awakened already at these young ages, and and I think that that's just a part of the evolution of consciousness, right? Like as parents awaken, as they go deeper in their spiritual truths, they automatically imprint their children with with this with this knowledge, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing to observe. What do you think that will mean for our future, Christina? And how can we avoid stifling that? I don't think there's no way of stifling, really. I think what it means for our future is that we're going to live down here on this planet first um, in much more connection with ourselves, uh, because I think that that's really that, that's really the the key to uh, really anything negative that happens down here on Earth. Um, you know, cutting down forests, not paying attention to natural resources, whether it's war, whether it's killing each other, um, acts of violence. The only way for a human being to perpetrate an act of violence, whether it's against another human being or whether it's against nature, is by being profoundly disconnected from their inner nature. Uh, if I'm connected to my inner nature, I understand that the harm I cause outside is also the harm I cause inside. And so it's this profound disconnection that we have with our inner selves, with our soul energy, with a deeper sense, with 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 a part of who we are that goes beyond being human. Um, the more that we connect with that, the more that we're going to be able to um I think I think the word is to align better down here on earth, to be able to live in communion, not only with each other, with ourselves, but also with nature. Um, and that's something that's that's happening right now. A lot of people message me and say, you know, um, it seems like the world is, is getting worse and getting worse because, you know, if you watch the news, that's really all you see. But the world is actually getting better and better and better because there's a lot of us that are awakening in this temporary sort of chaotic energy that we see on the surface. That's what shows up in, you know, in the 24-hour news cycle. That's only a superficial shaking. It's a superficial awakening that's happening on the planet. And for a lot of us, sometimes awakening has to still happen through chaos a little bit. But if you de- if you dig deeper and you just kind of deep dive underneath that surface, it's kind of like the, the surface of an ocean. You know, sometimes an ocean is can be choppy on the surface, but if you if you start uh, dive down and you just keep swimming deeper and deeper, it gets calmer the lower you go, the deeper you go, and that's what's happening right now. If you if you take a deep dive into kind of the superficiality of the things that are happening outside, there's a mass awakening occurring on the planet, and that just brings me a lot of joy. You know, we're going in the right direction for sure. It does for me as well, because, you know, when I sit in this seat, I understand what you're saying, because it seems like our world is so polarized and and we're divided and everyone's fighting with each other and we have a war and a pandemic and all of these things that are so negative. But then I speak with someone like you and all of these other people that I get to work with, and I see this awakening taking place where people are going deeper within themselves and they want more out of life, you know, more positive. They're, they're just doing so much good for the world. And, and I get to see that. I feel very blessed yeah. in, in having that opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, and, you know, temporarily, of course, a, a mass awakening or a shift in consciousness will temporarily create chaos, especially when the transformation is as deep as it is right now. If you look around the world, the, there, it's not just each one of us awakening. As soon as each person starts awakening, then by consequence, 
every single um, system, every single structure, every single culture, every single religion, those mega systems have to transform also. So if you look around the world at the, the biggest hot spots of, of issues, we've got wars. So we have political systems, we have military systems, we have this entire huge infrastructure that, that's being shaken but it's being shaken because so many of us are awakening. And, and whether it's political change, whether it's change in the way that we look at each other, whether it's change in the way that we see countries, one country versus another, or one culture versus another, or one person or one race versus another, all of these systems have to change in response to individual awakenings. That, that's always the consequence of an individual awakening. When you get, if one or two people are awakening on the planet, that doesn't really have a lot of weight in terms of changing systems. But when millions upon millions of people are awakening, they're going to start to demand change of the systems that they participate in. And sometimes that's very chaotic because systems that, been, that have been entrenched for a really long time, they don't like change. <laughs> they don't like change. They like uh, permanence. And so these structures sometimes are very challenging to, to reform. And I think that that's a lot of the chaos that we're seeing around the world right now is simply the consequence of individuals awakening and saying, you know, this is not what I want. I, I don't want to see this anymore. I want to live in a world that's more peaceful, that's more prosperous for all, but that also can be prosperous, but living in harmony with nature at the same time. Um, and so that's that's happening all over the world. But but yes, the the, the temporary uh, energy of uh, that occurs when this shift, when these systems are being um, changed, can be very chaotic, and it can cause a lot of um, of, of pain, really uh, temporarily. So, if someone who's listening to us right now wants to begin on this journey of awakening, when when you were making some of the shifts in your life, you spent a lot of time alone. Mm -hmm. I know I spent a mm -hmm. lot of time alone. Is that important to do? I think for me, it, alone time was important. But I also um, I also tell people because I work with a lot of people. I, I just finished a retreat, actually a large retreat, and so many of the people that participated in the retreat were married, had children, had families. And so I was in a different position. I didn't have children. My marriage had fallen apart. So I had nothing to lose. So I literally just walked out of my house, left everything to my ex-wife, walked out with a couple of suitcases, and off I went to my new life. And so I had the opportunity to stay in solitude. I lived a hermit life for four years after, my, uh, after this initial awakening. And, and it was very blessed. I needed that time in order not just to, I had a severe trauma that I had to heal and that I didn't even remember. There were layers and layers uh, to my healing that were required for me to walk um, in order to then become a healer for others. But you don't need to um, spend four years in hermit mode like I did uh, in order to go through a spiritual awakening. More and more people are going through awakenings while they have families and while they're raising children and while they stay in, in their jobs. But I think the key here is absolutely to program specific times in your day where you are able to be with yourself, whether it's just one hour a day. Sometimes I I, I've coached a lot of parents and I say to them, you know, um, block a time in your day where you can just spend with yourself. And they'll usually say to me, oh, well, this, this, I could do this after my children are in bed because then there's silence in the house. And then I'm able to schedule, you know, one hour before bedtime. That's enough. 
You know, it doesn't have to be anything dramatic, but schedule some time for yourself so you can tap in to first, how do you feel? This is a really, really important first step uh, for, for a person that doesn't have any spiritual understanding. If you start to just, just sit down, close your eyes, take a nice deep breath, and, and get used to asking yourself every day, how am I feeling? And where am I feeling? This is a really important exercise that I use with clients too. Not just how am I feeling, but where am I feeling? So a lot of times, you know, in this kind of hustle culture that we still have, people feel stress. Where do they feel stress? Usually it's that pit of the stomach, or maybe they have palpitations or anxiety at the chest, or maybe their shoulders are really tight. If for us, it's, you know, emotions and emotional content gets stagnated in certain parts of the body. But as soon as you start to ask yourself, how do I feel and where do I feel it? You're starting to have active communication with this beautiful meat suit <laughs> that you have, this beautiful community of 40 trillion sentient cells that are highly intelligent and that it can inform you and teach you. And as soon as you start that conversation in that moment of silence, in that moment of stillness, no cell phones, no technology, just 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 sitting down, sometimes in the dark, I love to work in the dark of night. So I turn off all the lights in my house. Usually after sunset, all the lights in my house are off um, because I like to be in communion with the night as well as the day. Um, and it helps regulate circadian rhythms when we do this. And so if you just take a little bit of time to just, just be still for a while, just commune with silence for a little while, um, ask your body how it's feeling and where it's feeling. As soon as you start to go kind of take this step deeper, it, channels are going to open, doors are going to open, insight is going to open for you. And then you can just keep going down and down and deeper and deeper. And you can start asking those more um, profound existential questions. For example, am I happy? Am I living the life that I desire? Am I living the life that's meant for me? These are all questions that, that kind of start to come up, but the first steps of just focusing on breathing and just asking yourself how you're doing and making sure that you take time to just be in a little bit of silence every day outside of the hustle culture is really important to start this awakening process. And when we sit with ourselves and we ask those types of questions, we start to feel our feelings and, and sometimes that mm -hmm. makes people very uncomfortable. So what do you say yeah. to someone who doesn't like the way he or she feels to keep moving forward. Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good point, John. Very, very good point. We usually end up completely disconnected from ourselves because there's a false assumption in our minds that the emotions that I have repressed inside of me are somehow too difficult for me to handle. That's the false assumption that is somewhere in your subconscious mind so that when you sit down and you start to feel, and maybe some of those feelings are uncomfortable, the mind says, oh, no, 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 just too much. Let's get up and let's go watch TV, or let's get up and let's go scroll social media. Let's, you know, book a trip and go do something, or let's go on a shopping spree. We have various, various ways to distract ourselves from our own inner world and our own emotions. And so I think the trick that, uh, that I usually tell people initially is anything that you have inside of you, you are perfectly capable of feeling and processing. No one dies of emotion. <laughs> Emotions, they, they can feel very strongly. They can feel overwhelming at times. But emotions are just energy that need to circulate. And, you know, what I tell people is the reverse. Sometimes people say, you know, well, 
I just, I can't deal. I can't deal with this. You know, I can't deal with my emotions. And they're, they're mistakenly thinking that because they don't want to face the emotion or they don't want to feel it or process it, that somehow it's going to disappear. But that's never the case. Your emotions will never disappear. They simply get kind of stagnated. It's usually in certain parts of your body. So a lot of times when people have emotional content that needs to be processed, it can actually show up in the form of physical symptoms or disease at some point. And so your emotions never disappear. Whether you want to feel them or not, they're there. They're influencing your life. And usually they're influencing your life uh, negatively because repressed emotions cause a lot of damage, a lot of damage, because then we end up reacting to life. We end up being very easily triggered and then reacting on those emotions that come up. And so there's really no alternative to, to sitting with your emotions. And I think at one point or another, we all realize this. But I think the trick for a lot of people is to realize that when I sit down and I ask myself how I'm feeling, and if uncomfortable emotions come up, I'm going to practice what Buddhists call equanimity. And that is I'm going to give equal weight to any emotion that comes up. Happiness is wonderful, but sadness is also valid and anger is also valid. These are all honorable emotions and some of them may be more uncomfortable than others, but I'm an eternal spiritual being. I'm a soul that that exists beyond space and time and that soul can absolutely sit here and feel whatever it is that I need to feel. Um, And a lot of times that's really the only step for a lot of people the only thing that was needed in the first place was a sitting with, a breathing through, and an acceptance of the emotional content that I have inside of me. Once an emotion starts moving, it dissipates quite quickly. And that's kind of the, the, the irony of this is that sometimes we spend a whole lifetime running away from uncomfortable emotions because we think that they are just going to overwhelm us and we won't be able to get out from underneath them. When in fact, that's not true at all. They just needed to process. They just needed to move and to circulate. And once they do, you start feeling better quite easily. Yeah. And the thing we forget is that we all have the power to do this work and, you know, and it is work, but we all have the power to heal. And, And I'm so happy that you were here today to share all of this with us. It just seems like it's a little bit more important today than it ever has been. And and I'm really happy that you were here. If our listeners would like to learn more about Christina and her work, you can visit ChristinaLopes.com. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Joan. It was a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, but only if you make a good impression. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills. To learn more, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. Fear 
is one of the most powerful forces in life. It affects the decisions we make and the actions we take. And while the primary role of fear is to keep us safe, it often becomes the obstacle that stands between us and our dreams and goals. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action or you can face, challenge and overcome it. There are rational fears, the ones that are based in reality, such as encountering a bear while on a hike in the woods. And there are irrational fears that keep us stuck. These are the stories we tell ourselves about outcomes we believe will happen with no factual basis. They usually begin in childhood and remain with us until something is changed. These can be labeled destructive fears. While it's not always easy to recognize our fears and how they keep us stuck, here are a few clues that experts say may help us determine if our life is guided by fear rather than joyful freedom. You see only the downside. You avoid anything new or unknown. You stay small. You are indecisive. How can you move past the fear? First, become aware of what scares you and how you respond. Keep a journal, and when you recognize a fear, jot it down. Then write down how you react when fears arise. Keep track of anything that seems significant. Learning about your fears can help you transform them. Once you are aware of your thoughts and responses, you can employ a few strategies for change. Use your imagination for good. Instead of letting your thoughts take you down a dark hole, imagine yourself in the situation with a positive outcome. Take a time out. Don't react immediately and give yourself some time and space for analysis. Clear your mind by focusing on your breath, taking a walk, or participating in any activity that calms you down. Then, when your mind is clearer, analyze the situation with a new perspective. Talk to a friend or advisor. Gaining insight from someone on the outside can help you see a situation in a different light. Remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. The choice is yours. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today's guest, Maggie Doyne, left her comfortable home in New Jersey for a gap year with no expectations that it would change the trajectory of her entire life. But on a trip to Nepal, she felt a call to help the local children. She used the $5,000 in her savings to buy a piece of land and create a children's home. Maggie created Blink Now, a nonprofit dedicated to serving the children of Nepal. And she subsequently co-founded a school, as well as a health clinic, women's center, and more. She has been globally recognized for her community-based and sustainable initiatives and was named a CNN Hero of the Year. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. It's good to be here. So, Maggie, as a fellow New Jersey girl, I have to say, I'm not a bit surprised at all you have accomplished. That's what Jersey (laughs) girls do. <laughs> but you, you found your calling at such a young age. Tell us what happened to you during that trip. Well, yeah, I just felt really lucky to be able to travel and I I went traveling not to like go do anything or help anyone. I was just looking for a sense of self and a sense of purpose and you know, a hundred twists and turns later I ended up in the Himalayas. Um and seeing the effects of war and 
uh, orphan children and child labor and human trafficking and, and the refugee crisis that was going on. I just had this real wake-up call and a sense of why is this happening? Why are we accepting that this is the reality of our human family? And, and what can I do to use my privilege and, and what I've been given to give back? Were you always that type of person, Maggie, who thought that way? Or was this a real awakening for you? No, no, not at all. I grew up, um, you know, aware, but it was before the time of social media. And, you know, I, I was a bit sheltered from the reality of the world, I think. Um, just growing up where I did and how I did on a cul-de-sac, going to public school, playing soccer. So, yeah, I felt really just angry and um, betrayed and like sad that this was the state of the world. And, you know, people always tell you children are suffering and there's need out there, but when you're staring it in the face and you're seeing a four-year-old child breaking off to live and survive and just children not having their most basic human needs met, it was really shell shocking. And, um, it felt easier to try to stay and dig in and do something with the local community than it did to, just turn my back and go back to college, you know, like it just made a lot of sense. So how were you able to do this? I mean, oftentimes people have these desires, but they have no idea how to get started. I read a lot of books um, and that really led me to the local community and realizing that the locals have the answers to the problems in their own community. Um, And then I kind of took marching orders and just got as much knowledge as I could and and read and, and immerse myself in the local culture and the local language. And we started step by step, one child at a time, starting with the riverbed where kids were breaking rocks and then moving into other initiatives to support the whole child living in the community. Um, and yeah, just learn little by little, built a team, found like-minded people. And that was that. Yeah. Sometimes these things, you know, when they're, when they're doing such good, they tend to take on a life of their own. Exactly. Exactly. That was definitely (laughs) the story in my case. Yeah. Well, what I love about your story, Maggie, you know, we hear so many people say, well, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? And you are such a great example of what one person can do. Yeah. I think everybody has the power within them to take one step towards a cause they care about or a change that they want to see in the world. And sometimes it's just small actions that lead to a collective of us, you know, creating ripple effects and making and and changing the lives of of everyone and making this world better. So everybody don't give up, keep up the hope, stay positive. We got this, you know, one step at a time, one good deed at a time. Peggy, what are some of the things that you've been able to accomplish through your organization? Well, we uh, started with one child and then, um, now we have 500 children enrolled into our school. I'm the mom to 58 kids in our home. We have a safe home for at-risk vulnerable girls. Um, we've got 166 college graduates out and in the world doing things, um, you know, changing their lives and their communities. And we run a women's center with over 200 graduates of um, a women's empowerment center. And it's just grown and grown. The whole community has changed over the years. What are you looking to do next? We're looking to take our model and our blueprint and open source it and share it with other people who want to do this kind of work in their communities and just to continue to be a a force in our community, taking in as many children as we can, giving as much support as we're able to. Um, There's still so much need in our region. 
um, it's the most food deficit region of the world, uh, high maternal and child mortality rates and um, huge orphan numbers. So we're still working towards that in our community. How has the pandemic and the residual effects of that impacted what you're seeing? I think in our community and around the world, we're looking at a major backslide when it comes to hunger, when it comes to um, the safety of children, things like early marriage and child labor um, severely escalated. And, um, you know, migrant crises, we, we were at the, at the helm of a major migrant crisis um, between the country of Nepal and India. And I think there's just a real consequence. We've had children, our world's most vulnerable children, out of school for 18 to 24 months. Um, and we're going to, for a whole generation, probably be having to fight to make up for that lost time and, and count our losses for um, the children who were lost in that because a lot of children won't be able to return back to school. That They will have been married or, <clears throat> you know, gone off to work. So we just have to keep doing better and uniting around the cause and agreeing that every child deserves to be safe and nourished and educated and loved. Maggie, what do you need from us? What can we do to help you? We'd love for everyone to follow us. We're the Blink Now Foundation, blinknow.org. Um, there's so many ways to get involved online. You can contribute, you can donate, you can share our story. Um, please follow along. And, and uh, if what we do doesn't resonate, find something out there and, and go, go do it. <laughs> Make the world better. What do you want our listeners to know? Well, it just works. Investing in children works. Education and access to opportunity works. Um, if you want to change these cycles of poverty and violence that we're seeing in our world, it comes down to the basic principle of taking care of children and making sure that they are brought up in a in school and in a loving environment and being kept safe. There's a direct correlation to communities then prospering in more peace and um, just a better world. So it works, and every small act, every every time you stand up for a child or, or share what we can with a child, it proportionately makes the world better. Yeah, and I want our listeners to know that Maggie has a book out, Between the Mountain and the Sky, A Mother's Story of Hope and Love. And if you'd like to get more information about Maggie and her work, you can visit blinknow.org. Maggie, thank you so much for spending this time with us. As I said, you are such a wonderful example of the power each of us has to make a difference in the world. And I think we forget about that. And you are just a great reminder that we can all help another person in this world. Oh, thank you. Thanks, everybody. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you aware that by incorporating sound therapy into your daily lives, you can actually improve your immune system? Is the music you listen to on a regular basis encouraging a healthy immune response? And did you know that research has proven that soothing sounds can shift our moods, which has a direct effect on our health? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo. I am a certified Reiki master. Japanese researcher Dr. Emoto has proven over and over again through experimentation that the sounds we listen to, the words we speak, and even our own thoughts have the ability 
ability to change the molecular structure within our bodies. Water is a perfect conductor for sound, and since our bodies are made mostly of water, the sounds we hear are carried throughout our bodies to our cells, either creating a healthy or destructive response on a cellular level. Here are some suggestions for using sound for encouraging a healthy immune response. Find time each day to listen to soothing sounds and feel the relaxation settle within. Be mindful of the words you speak. Peaceful and kind words carry a high vibration, encouraging a healthy immune response. And as part of your daily practice, incorporate playing singing bowls, drumming, or any other type of instrument that brings you joy, as this will also help enhance your health. If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club, created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Thanks for staying with us. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Christine Pendy, Chief Clinical Officer for Behavioral Health Services at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center, the largest hospital in New Jersey. Christine is a licensed clinical social worker. She joins us today to talk about mental health and children. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. Christine, we hear so much about kids with depression and anxiety today and that there's an increase in suicide among adolescents. What do you think is happening with the mental health of our children? Well, I think before the pandemic um, throughout our nation, we were seeing a rise in depression and anxiety across the board in our country and certainly in our children. As we entered the pandemic and we dealt with the fears of the virus and the stay-at-home orders, what we saw in our children is an increase in those fears and the isolation that came with being separated from friends and other family members. You know, we also saw, you know, the loss of life. Um, and we saw that they were not where they were comfortable, right, where they were with their friends, where they were in school, and they had those other outlets, the sports and, and things along those lines. And so we saw an increase in depression and anxiety throughout the pandemic. Now we're not seeing that really slide back. We're seeing that continuing, and we're seeing that our, for our children. They've lost a great deal. They've lost academic status. They've lost sporting experiences, proms, all of these things that are very integral to really what is the framework of becoming a young adult. And due to that, we see a very large increase in depression and anxiety, which often can go hand in hand and at times can be separate, but often go hand in hand. Christine, everything that you just described, what can we as parents do to help lessen some of this damage? Well, I think being educated is very important to understand that our children, our youth, um, our young adults are struggling. Um, I think understanding the warning signs and the things to look for in our children and to be comfortable and, and be okay with the fact that it's okay to not be okay. And it is okay to enter into conversations about things like depression and anxiety and, and expressing to our children that we're here for them um, without judgment and that it's important for us to hear them, let them speak, and then 
tackle the issues as they present, being careful to be watchful of major changes that could require an intervention. You just mentioned to be mindful of the warning signs. What are some of these changes that we should be on the lookout for? So, you know, always we want to be our best understander of our children. We know, we know our child the best. So when we see things like sudden outbursts, negative thinking, extreme sensitivity to criticism, sulking around and, and that experience of helplessness or hopelessness, particularly if our children can put words to it, um, very much so feeling misunderstood. If we see them begin to engage in high-risk behaviors like substance use or becoming sexually active and they weren't previous, staying out late, dropping grades, um, changing in attendance. You know, our children, you know, we all know that as they hit puberty, they, they have mood swings and we see changes in personality. And that's, that's, that's a normal thing to happen. But what you're looking for is, is a big extreme in that. And again, we know our children the best. Um, so when we see them having difficulty sleeping and really withdrawing, particularly from family, friends, and becoming socially isolated, these are warning signs that we don't want to put off. We, we want to be mindful of them. And again, we want to start that conversation of asking, how's things going? Are you okay? And, and setting the stage for it's okay to talk. It's okay to say, again, I'm not okay, and here's what's happening for me. And then getting them to that next step, if we feel that they need care, it is, it is always better to err on the side of caution and consult a mental health professional or a pediatrician or a physician and say, you know, I'm concerned for my child, just like, you know, if we were concerned about a mole on their back or a pain in their wrist, we want to consult those same professionals and specialized professionals if necessary to say, I'm seeing this now. And I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can for my, my child, my young adult. And I would say we need to be mindful of our new college students. You know, new college students, this is a huge jump in life. They've made their face first very large decision. And this is a time where we can see the onset of some mental health issues that need additional attention. So being mindful when our young adults are talking about the stressors of college or not fitting in or, or anxiety about being home, that we're a little bit more sensitive in 2022, that there are additional anxieties and depressions and fears that they're dealing with from the pandemic. And we want to be very attentive. And I would probably know, you know, as a mother of two sons, that kids are not always communicative with you and they may not open up. So it's probably very important for a parent to seek help just to figure out how to deal with all of this. Absolutely. Our, the, our best resource as, as fellow moms and, and fellow dads is, is to talk to other parents and to see, you know, and learn how have you engaged your child or did you try something different or I said it this way, oh, I think you shut him down. Um, and to find out where and who they've sought out help for so that you feel comfortable yourself. The stigma of having a mental health issue and the stigma of thinking that you have a child with a mental health issue is a tremendous factor in people seeking help. You know, when I talk to my children, um, I also am a mother of two, um, my daughter will talk to me about knowing who went to the guidance counselor to seek help. And that gets talked about at school. So our schools are working really hard in this era 
to, to educate and to make mental health something that kids in school can talk about. Doing these stigma-free events allow our children and ultimately us as parents to feel comfortable and move forward with getting some help for our kids. And, you know, Christine, while we're talking about children, this is also a very important message for us as adults with our own mental health. You know, as adults, we have equally been through a very challenging time. And as adults, especially those who have children, we're dealing with our own issues and those of our spouses and our families. And then we are also role modeling and dealing with our children. It is a tremendous burden that we carry because we know that our children are watching and our children are adapting and seeing and, and taking on some of our our anxieties, our concerns, our fears, and moving forward with them. So as adults, it's very important for us to be getting that help for our own selves. And, you know, we've talked a lot through the pandemic about taking a step away from the TV, taking a step away from the news, refocusing on family time, physical activity, doing something for yourself, and checking your own mental health just like you would check your own physical health and not feeling that we can't seek out and gain support for that which we need. Christine, for someone who has not had any experience with professional mental health services, what can he or she expect as a usual course of treatment? So the first is, you know, seeking out that help. There are local community mental health centers. There are providers all around. Once you do that and you place that phone call to that entity to go through, often it's called an access department where they'll take that initial phone call. You want to express to the person that's taking that call what your needs are so that they can link you to the right professional. If there are primary substance abuse issues, you want to be able to be linked to that provider. If there's a combination, you want to be linked to that person that is both mental health and substance use. Once you do that, you're going to come into a facility like Bergen Newbridge, and you're going to go through what they call that initial assessment, often referred to as an intake. And this is where we're going to gain as much information from you so that we can come together with you in treatment and formulate the next steps of that care. Once that occurs, the therapist or the clinician that you're working with is going to set up, whether it be a weekly or a bi-monthly meeting and assessment to continue that work. And if you're in need of medication management and other more intensive services, to again, put those in place as you go through that course of treatment. It's going to be different for every person. And there are different interventions for different things that are happening. And there's different levels of care based on what is presented to the clinician. And they're going to make a recommendation that takes into consideration the severity of what's happening and is mindful of risky and, and unsafe behaviors to have available emergency care if needed. And the important message here is that you don't have to go it alone. There is help available. So if you would like to learn more about Bergen Newbridge Medical Center, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Christine, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this very important topic. Thank you, Joan. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative change your attitude, change your life. We believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. 
Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications.